Hello and welcome to the Visa Angle, an Visa Partners podcast where we analyze the biggest stories from around the world and their impact on business and policy. Visa Partners is a global public affairs and government relations consulting firm. You can learn more at avisa-partners.com. And you can find the Visa Angle on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a five-star review. I'm your host, Daniel Flesh, coming to you from our office in Washington, D.C. On Tuesday evening, President Biden delivered his second State of the Union address before a packed House of Congress and the United States Senate. It was a raucous affair, as those who were watching witnessed, uh, but here to unpack a lot of that are two guests of the show. Noe Garcia, partner at Visa Partners, welcome back. Thank you, Daniel. And joining us for the first time is Amanda Loveday, senior advisor to Visa Partners. Amanda, welcome to the Visa Angle. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. So as we, as I just said, you know, Tuesday's night's uh, address was fairly raucous, although the speech itself by Biden was in many ways kind of tame. He started off talking, striking a very bipartisan tone. In fact, right away, he made a comment uh, to Kevin McCarthy that uh, something to the effect of, you know, we'll work together in the future. Don't let that go to your reputation. Um, but then for an hour and I think 10 minutes or so, and it was kind of a, to my ears, a fairly run-of-the-mill State of the Union. Um, Amanda, what was your some of your takeaways? Yeah, I thought it was a, a good second State of the Union for the president. I thought he definitely walked the bipartisan line, as Joe Biden can only do. Uh, I think he handled the, the, the ruckus, as we'll call it, from uh, the Republican side better than anyone can. I think having a conversation uh, with those who were arguing with his points, I think, was the best way to approach that. And I think it really stood out as a, a great attribute of his personality and, and how he is willing to have a conversation. I thought his comment to uh, Kevin McCarthy before he started was, was again, pure Joe Biden. Um, I also tweeted that night that uh, Joe Biden being Joe Biden is my favorite Joe Biden. And I think he proved that. <laughs> As well, um, in his speech, he, he, he said a lot of things that, that weren't scripted. He responded to a lot of things that weren't scripted, uh, which makes, I think, a, a more entertaining uh, State of the Union than what we're, what we're used to. Yeah, actually, you're, you're defining that kind of call and repeat as a conversation was interesting because it really was. And it made me think of something I might want to see in some iteration or in our system is something like, Britain's uh, PMQs, Prime Minister's Questions, where you have sure. the opposition party actually stating questions before not, you know, they don't have the State of the Union, uh, essentially for a joint session. But that was kind of a call and repeat uh, between the president and some, uh, you know, some of the, the more the fringe of the Republican Party. But it was kind of he was addressing them on his feet. It was, it was kind of interesting to see. And you haven't seen something so raucous in, in some time here at the State of the Union. Right. And I will I will preface uh, that I don't encourage interruption during a state of the no. union. I think that there are, are better places um, and in environments where those conversations can be had. To your point, I think, uh, you know, something like that in, in American politics would be fascinating. Um, so I, I, I make my tongue in cheek comments, not supporting that uh Response because I think we should all respect the office, uh, even if we didn't vote for the person standing behind the podium. But 
uh, I do think that we saw who Joe Biden really is on Tuesday night um, because he was able to handle those situations in a very charismatic way, in a way that I think not a lot of other uh, candidates who have run or even served in that office could have handled. Yeah, the only thing I would say is, you know, I, I think the comment uh, about Republicans wanting to cut Medicare and Social Security to make them sunset uh, was kind of a low blow because um, <laughs> it's not even the vast majority. And even though he stated it, uh, you know, when you're making that comment uh, in front of the American people to a huge audience, I, I think it did elicit some kind of response from from the gallery. But yes, in most cases, I would agree with uh, with Amanda that uh, we should not be uh, as ruckus as as we yeah. as we were and last night. And as Noe's referencing, uh, the, the the Medicare slashing idea came from uh, Rick Scott, put that, I think he was the head of NRSC, is that right? Yeah. Uh, Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee, and uh, put that platform in there kind of on his own. And I don't understand why he did that necessarily, because it didn't seem a very prudent thing to do, particularly during campaign season last fall. But he put that in. It's obviously something that the president and Democrats have been able to capitalize upon. Yeah, and McCarthy himself, right? The, right. The, the speaker has basically said that that's off the table. So that's not going to be part of the negotiations at all. So. Right, right. So I want to go through a little bit of the speech also, and we just put out an Avisa Insight on this. It's our bi-weekly document that kind of uh, looks at, addresses, and analyzes major events of that previous two-week period. So we just put one out about the State of the Union takeaways and a couple of things that we've identified. And I want to kind of unpack these with both you, Amanda, and Noe. One is key themes about bipartisanship, bipartisanship was king on Tuesday evening. Also, Biden's Buy America mirrors Trump's America First industrial policy. Prescription drug policy is back on the table. He spent a lot of time on that. Some environmental realism as well. Really wanted to reign in corporate America. Um, and also, he had a little bit of foreign policy at the end, not so much, but he actually talked about maintaining support for Ukraine. So talking about what was in the speech, um, of those key themes we identified, what do you think will resonate most with the American people here? Yeah, um, well, I think, again, Joe Biden ran on a campaign of, of bipartisanship and working together, and so I think that piece of it was very clear. You saw uh, Speaker McCarthy stand up numerous times. I, I haven't seen the stand count, but it has to be in, in the top percentage of uh, Republican speakers or, or opposite party speakers standing for the president. Um, and I think that's it's, as more we can get into that as an American um, political system, the better for us. Uh, and you have a what we used to call a foreign policy president in Joe Biden, right? He, he chaired the foreign policy committee. Yep. He obviously had incredibly form, um, high foreign, foreign policy chops when he ran for president and served as vice president. Uh, but he truly has shifted his focus uh, since he ran and as he got elected to that America first uh, by America um, strategies that we've seen in, in the last two presidents. Um, and I think he realized that the American people needed that type of president due to COVID and a number of other things that needed to be passed and, and focusing on um, the legislation that he's passed in the last two years. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see a, a American-focused uh, policy strategy rather than that foreign policy strategy that I think even I said prior to him being elected would have been a key theme of his administration um, I, I think that as, as Noe and I talk to our friends and, and colleagues on the Hill and um, the folks that our clients that we're working with to get 
legislation passed and discussions to be had, I think it's important for us to take those topics that are in uh, the email that Avisa sent around because that is the next two years. You know, they're, they're talking about finishing the job in the next two years, running for reelection, and the Biden administration is going to focus on these topics. And so I think it's important for clients that we're working with and, and others that are, are going to the Hill to talk to members that they try in, in any way possible to tie in their focus into what the administration is trying to achieve. It'll make it easier um, for for them to be successful. And, um, you know, I, I look forward to seeing what the Republican House and the Senate, the Democratic Senate can do, uh, if anything, to to make some of these policies reality. Right. And that's actually really well said, and particularly for our client work out there. You know, a lot of work that Avisa has been doing the last year or so, uh, helping clients focus on who are really interested in domestic energy and, and, uh, and economic policy and helping you know get legislation passed, such as the Chips and Science Act, the Bipartisan Inf- Infrastructure Law, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, these are also things, and, and the president made it pretty clear, actually said directly that buy America, we should be buying America, which kind of has mirror, it was mirroring a bit of Trump's America first industrial policy. Noe, what do you make of this? Yeah, you know, I think that's uh, one of the things that's not going away, right? The 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 vestiges of the Trump administration we're talking about in this regard, yeah, in this regard, right? Um, the the two thirty two, you know, uh, section two thirty two uh, tariffs on aluminum and steel, right? From uh, there's a bunch of other issues uh, like uh, foreign entities of concern issues mm-hmm. because China, Russia, Iraq, um, Iran. And uh, North Korea are all on that list. And I think main, especially in light of the balloon, uh, the Chinese balloon, right, that, that, that made its appearance. Gosh, it's almost been cra- dropped from the headlines. <laughs> Although they just found out that there were communication, uh, communication capabilities on it. So, but, yeah. I, but I do think that, you know, in the past, right, and, and Amanda would agree with me, in the past, our differences end at, the, uh, uh, at, our, at our border. Um, but once um, these issues become international, the United States needs to have a united front and um, mm-hmm. from all enemies, you know. Yeah, and Sen- I think, Senator uh, Vandenberg used to say yeah. that Americans' pol- differences should stop at the water's edge. At the right. water's edge. And I think right. that that's something that, uh, you know, at least at Avisa, we're interested in reinstating and making sure that that is maintained. And I think that the Biden administration has done a very good job at making sure that industrial policy has stayed uh, very focused on America first. Yeah, there's not too much continuity you see between administrations, particularly obviously Democrat to Republican, vice versa, and even more so in this you know era of parties running to the extremes, nominating uh, more extreme candidates in primaries who are then influencing generals. But this is one area that you do have commonality. Certainly, you know Trump is uh, excuse me Biden has put a new kind of name to it because he's not going to say America first, obviously, but by America. And that's something that, you know, everyone wants, wants, wants to support. What, what right. Thing- and we saw, we saw that, I was going to say real quick, we saw yeah. that today, right? The, uh, today, Thursday in, in Congress, we've had a 419 to zero vote condemning right. um, China's use of the surveillance balloon. Right. I, I, I can't tell you the last time we had a, a vote to zero <laughs> <laughs> on anything. So yeah, we, we are definitely coming all together on that. Yeah, let's take the victories where we can get them, right? Right, <laughs> exactly. One thing I think, though, that um, that we can focus on, at least here at Avisa, right, is, the and this was sort of a light uh, in the SOTU was the cyber threat, right? The cybersecurity mm-hmm. threat is a very real one. I think that we see um, foreign actors 
more engaged uh, in ransom ransomware attacks. I, I, I think that it's going to be across industries. And I think that that's where the United States is going to have to make some, some, some pretty significant investments as well as change some of our, our laws um, concerning uh, cybersecurity. Uh, I think that's going to be one of the issues where there is going to be some bipartisan support mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that something is passed in the next Congress. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, Mandy wants to be to add there. No, I, I totally agree. Yeah. And, and actually speaking of China a little bit as well, another area of bipartisan um, cooperation is over the newly installed or set up, I should say, uh, I don't know the name in front of me, but the China Select Committee or the Select Committee on Comp Strategic Competition with China that uh, Representative Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin is leading, but it's a bipartisan effort as well. So and in and, and, and focusing on China, that's going to wrap in a whole lot of different industries, right? You can have a human rights component to that with the Uyghurs and the, and the, and the UFLPA passed last, last year, the Uyghurs Forced Labor Protection, uh, Prevention Act. You're going to bring in something that we've been working on with like um, electric vehicles and chips, uh, bring in other sort of national security issues into the fold. And this is an issue that really few companies or industries are going to be able to avoid it. Either of you guys want to comment on that? Uh, Go ahead, Amanda. It's a yeah, lot sorry. To um, yeah. It is a lot to unpack. And, and I agree with you. And I think that um, I think that companies are going to have to learn how to adapt to these, especially these huge pieces of legislation that we've seen pass in the last two years, whether it is the CHIPS Act or the Infrastructure Law or, or IRA. IRA right. um, and, I, you know, they're going to have to shift their focus to in order to get more federal funding. They're going to have to. Uh, work with different members that maybe they haven't in the past, not just because of, of party shifts, but also uh, because of, of different groups and, and subcommittees that are being developed because of this uh, legislation. Um, I think, too, to the workers piece, you know, we on, on the political front, we've seen the first cabinet secretary in the Biden administration leave. Uh, with the Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, and I think that um, the new person who gets put in there is going to to have a a, a big um, advantage in, in changing or continuing the administration's policies on labor. Mm -hmm. um, and I think all of that, right? That's a huge tent that I just laid out right. as you did in your question too. That companies really need to think about, and and what we do with Adavisa is work with. Uh, individuals work with businesses to help them understand what's happening in Washington and how are figuring out what is happening and then taking that and shifting their business strategies to make sure that they're able to benefit from uh, the accomplishments, the, the changes and the leadership that they have to respond to in these situations. Yeah. And, and I think uh, one of the most important things, Daniel, in, in the fact that these big pieces of legislation were passed into law is now the implementation of the legislation, right? Which includes regulatory guidance. Um, how do you actually apply for some of the monies that are out there? And one advantage that we have at Avisa is having someone like Amanda Loveday on our team who can help you navigate through uh, all of these different agencies um, because she's very well uh, established within Biden world, right? And you can mm -hmm. look her up online and she has a great profile and, and she's not going to toot her own horn, but, 
but Amanda can really, really help. And, and there's been a lot of instances where we've had clients that needed meetings with the Department of Treasury or the Department of uh, Education, mm-hmm. vast uh, different entities out there where, you know, it helps to have friends on the inside. And right. I think we know that the guidance is going to be coming out. We know that these um, uh, regulations are going to be moving forward. Uh, and we can help companies navigate through all that. Right. And particularly, so speaking about going forward a bit, I want to talk a little bit about what we can expect from this Congress, from the 118th Congress, and then also in light of a presidential campaign season that's going to be ramping up. So with the second one first, uh, so, so far, as we record this on February 9th, uh, former President Donald Trump has announced his candidacy for president for in 2024. No big surprise there. Uh, certainly Nikki Haley now has kind of done a soft opening, so to speak, uh, indicating that she's also going to run on the Republican side. And Joe Biden is certainly hinting and coming closer to a formal announcement on his end. And obviously, as the weeks progress, we're going to get more in, um, more candidates jumping in on the Republican side. And it's going to be kind of by by summer, it's going to be in full swing the campaign season. How is that going to affect politics in Washington? How is that going to affect the ability for Congress to get legislation done? Will there be any interest? Or is it more if you have political objectives or if you have policy objectives uh, that essentially put them on hold, or you can really still find ways to navigate what will essentially be kind of a quagmire this summer? Well, there's two ways to look at it, right? I think they still have some mess pass legislation that they have to do, right? Yeah. Um, we have, We're talking about the debt ceiling right now. We have a debt ceiling thing. issue, but we also have a budget, right? And we've mm-hmm. got to get through, uh, hopefully, some kind of appropriations packages um, to fund the government, or else we're going to kick the can down the road and do a continuing resolution, which mm-hmm. is just keeping the funding as is from FY 2023. Uh, I don't know what the answer is yet, but you have to make sure that you're ready to influence those members so that your stuff is not left on the cutting room floor right. and then you're protecting what you already have. So I think in a lot of cases, especially with the Republicans controlling the House, um, it's super imperative that you reach out often and early because this is the first time that the Republicans have control of Congress for uh, what's been like four, four, uh, year, yeah, four, four years. years. So a lot of new members, a lot of new faces, a lot of education to do. The a other new side, speaker on their end too. A new speaker, a very, I would say, a, um, an interesting uh, dynamic because of the fact that um, only a handful of votes separate mm-hmm. the parties in the House. So right. it's not an overwhelming majority mm-hmm. so you don't need a whole lot of movement on one side or the other um to get things moved or to kill things and so uh, that makes people really really nervous because you know one of the things that we do at avisa for our clients is we manage risk for them so those are the things to think about i also think in light of the presidential elections mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of candidates in and out um but all that matters is, you know, who's in by October because right. you've got a New Hampshire and, and Iowa primaries for the Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Amanda's excited about uh, the Democratic primaries in South Carolina. <laughs> 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 so um, because they've moved up uh, yep. on the Democratic side. So and I'll let her talk about that a little bit. But you're going to have a bunch of candidates on the Republican side. And I think we'll get a sense of who's a serious candidate and who's not. Come in the coming months, in yeah. the coming yeah. months, right in summer, in summertime, but it's not going to stop uh, Congress from trying to get what it needs to get done. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, 2024 will be very different, but I think 2023 we're going to see some stuff move because it, it just has to. Well, things having to get done in Congress is not precluded Congress in the past. I'm still not getting stuff done, but we'll leave that there. Amanda, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as a, um, a native South Carolinian, it is a big time for my state, obviously with the democratic party getting, or the democratic primary getting pushed up to first in the nation. You know, as I like to tell my fellow Democrats in South Carolina, I don't think it'll matter much in 2024 because I don't think we will actually have a primary because uh, I do fully expect the president to announce his reelection uh, in the next couple of months. Um, but I also think with Vicki Haley opening the spigot, as, as Noe alluded to, that there will be 10, 12, 18 candidates on the Republican side. Right. Uh, they just were waiting for that one to announce. And, you know, we expect her to make that official announcement on February 15th in South Carolina. And with that will come potentially Tim Scott uh, having two South Carolinians running a, a sitting state a U.S. senator uh, and then a, a variety of other Republicans um, that will then jump in the race. And so I think it will it will definitely raise the the bar of conversation and and i think some of these uh potential pieces of legislation that the republicans are pushing specifically since their primary will be much more crowded mm-hmm. it's, they're going to get elevated and right. you're going to hear a lot of conversation about the debt ceiling about you know whatever may be going on in in conversation with um, you know, like the Electoral Count Act or um, the NDAA or mm-hmm. whatever other appropriations is in discussion and, and other health policy, tax policy and so forth. A lot of that discussion that I think maybe not have gotten to the forefront this early in this Congress, I think is going to get discussed much more frequently because you're going to have, again, 10, 12, 20 candidates going across the country talking about the issues that matter to them and they're all going to try to find one right so then they're all going to have a uh one piece that they want to talk about wholeheartedly they're pushing for they encourage congress to pass and they demand that their party focuses on x y or z and and that's going to put some pressure i think on on some of the republican leadership i know you know noe has an incredible immense amount of relationship with those leaders, both in the House and the Senate, uh, based on his background and experience, um, both in the administration and the Treasury and on the Hill. And I think he can provide a little bit of insight of, of how the folks that we work with can manage that, because I do think that we are going to, a lot of our clients are going to potentially fall into some risk because, you know, candidate X is in Iowa talking about issue Y that no one thought was ever going to be discussed this year, but they brought it up on, you know, at some fast food restaurant. And now Congress has to have, they may not have to act by voting, but they have to act by responding. And, and I think that will become uh, part of this process as, as the Republican primary gets more and more crowded. Yeah. And it's really interesting that as a strategic communications firm, which we do a lot of things, that's one of them, you know, this is a year where if you want to influence policy back in DC, in many ways, go to the States. You know, go to, as right. Amanda, as you're talking about, find that diner that Haley is is stumping at and have a question posed to her or have some other ads over the airways there. Uh, and then someone makes a comment over there. I mean, it's the direct, I mean, it's like a butterfly effect, right? It's the direct impact or uh, uh, consequence right. of comments in the field reverberating back here in D.C. 
And, and Daniel, you make a really good point. You know, obviously, Noe and I work very closely with elected officials and and our, the, the companies that we work with to get something passed, done, uh, discussed, whatever the case may be. But what we also do is those type of campaigns, right? We, we make sure that whatever the topic that needs to be discussed gets discussed in, in an organic way. And, mm-hmm. and especially during these primary cycles, that comes with some of those tactics. And, you know, some of the most interesting conversations I've had with clients in the past have been, you know, oh, no one really does that. And it's like, no, they do. <laughs> they, they plant questions do, on right. these campaign stops or they open new social media accounts or they develop new websites so that, you know, they do there. These tactics are out there and, and it's really hard to be successful if you're not playing on the same level as your competitors. And uh, I think folks kind of forget that sometimes. And and the primary cycle is the perfect way to think outside the box and do something creative and unique. You want to insert yourself to the conversation early. And I think Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Amanda is a hundred percent right, right? These things don't just happen by accident all the time. And so they're not always overly orchestrated. Mm Mm-hmm. But you have to assert yourself into the process. Squeaky wheel gets the grease, if right. you know what I mean. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want to, I want to close. And, and, I, and I'll start yeah, go back real quick, Daniel, to, Daniel, to the to the State of the Union because that's what we started talking about and have obviously you, you beat me to it. I was going there. Go ahead though. <laughs> off the rails a little bit, but I think it's a perfect example. I, if if no one would have yelled at the president about his comment on Medicaid and Medicare and the one Republican who has talked about scrapping it, no one would be talking about it, right? They would have picked something completely different from his speech to be riled up about and to make the headlines on. But because that became the moment from the State of the Union, that's all the headlines. You know, you turn on CNN, you turn on MSNBC, you turn on Fox News, it's all about uh, how the Republicans are not going to cut Medicaid or Medicare, or the Democrats are saying that the Republicans want to cut Medicaid or Medicare. Um, but I think that's a perfect example of how you can change the narrative by one shift of the clock. And we do that for our clients. We've done that successfully for our clients. Um, you know, we're not encouraging members of Congress again to yell at the president, but no. those campaign tactics in, done in other ways, in other forums, uh, can truly shift the focus of anything, any speech, any uh, rollout, any endeavor. And and I think that's proof that um, that is now the moment from the State of the Union. And had that not happened, I don't think it would have been. Yeah, I, I, I think the one thing that we all learned, right, is if you can control the narrative, you can win the debate. And, yep. and perfect way of is, saying it. That is what Amanda's talking about. If we can control the narrative, we can win the debate. That is a great way to end. You know, I wanted to get back to this, the State of the Union, talk about foreign policy, talk about other unsaid things. But, you know, we'll, uh, you know I'll just ask this one final question for both of you and kind of real quick. So we, uh, in, in our insight, we talked about, we highlighted how Biden really talk about Taiwan so much or other global challenges. What, are, what is one thing for both of you? Amanda, I'll let you go first if you have one. Um, what is one thing that he did not bring up that you wish he had? Foreign policy-wise or just generally? In general. We'll go in general. Um, you know, I, th- I think that it was a very well-rounded speech. Um, I don't think he necessarily needed to focus more on global challenges based on the issues he's had to handle over the last two years and the, the large pieces of legislation he's gotten passed and he's signed. 
um, you know, I, I, as a as a Democrat, as a as a Biden Democrat, and someone who has worked to help him get elected, uh, I wish there would have been a little bit more kind of like CN twenty four to the speech, but um, the job. again, <laughs> yeah, finish the job, right? Um, but I do think that. Uh, again, I do think he, he put together a, a really well-rounded speech. I think he had incredible energy. Um, and, it, you know, I've had Republican chief of staff text me friends that have said, I will never say this publicly, but uh, he did what he needed to do. And congratulations. So yeah. if that tells you anything, then, um, you know, my excitement from that night was, was proven by, mm-hmm. <laughs> by my friends on the other side. Very true. Very true. No, I'm, I'm glad the state of the unions are now um, very boring and <laughs> less interesting than they were <laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, but I, I, I think he, he may have missed a couple of opportunities. I think data privacy is one of those issues where I think you have a lot of synergy on both sides of the aisle. I, I think, you know, he talks about working together. I wish he would have spent a little bit more time on some of those things that um, actually really do unite the country because I think we need more of that. Yeah, very well said. I'm going to throw out one final question is a little trivia question. Who, so it's very common now for presidents to bring guests to sit in the gallery who they get acknowledged throughout the speech. Who was the first president that did that? Oh, that's a fun trivia question. Maybe Ronald Reagan? It was Reagan. Yeah, I don't know. It was oh, Reagan. look at what you're doing. There you go. He was the first one to do it. Uh, he brought in Lenny Skutnik, who was a federal employee who dove into the Potomac after an Air Florida flight crashed to save somebody. And yeah. nine, he brought him That's in that. January 26, 1982. That's I awesome. heard that in other podcast. I want to share a little tidbit here. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> of course. Of okay, course. Hold on. Daniel, let yeah. me ask you a question. Go Can ahead. you, uh, do you know the Republican that um, Biden delivered the Democratic response for? Oh. He lived, that's interesting. Oh, is it was it Reagan too? It was Reagan. It was Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Yeah. I learned something too today. How about that? So uh, with that, we're about at time. Noe, Amanda, thank you both so much for joining me here. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Amanda. Great. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Noe. Yeah, and for everyone out there, like I said, we're on a weekly calendar right now. So I will see everyone next week on the Avisa Angle.